I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. What's going on, everybody? Happy Friday. Before we begin, my apologies for Wednesday. Again, it's happened before. There was a few issues pulling the audio through from Locker Room. I do apologize. They're working on that. Should be fixed soon, so that won't keep happening. As usual, I'm joined by my boy, Mr. Will Weir. It's a Friday episode. We've got some good things to talk about. Monday's episode was a little bit more sad. We, we, we tried to be reasonable. Now we can be happy, so expect some happy takes, man. What's going on, Will? Hey, what up, Adam? Happy to be here for a happy recording, man. I know it was tough the other day for y'all. Dude, like that's the one thing that benefits me not recording directly after games that I have time to like compartmentalize things, uh, go back, rewatch, and look for the bright spots as well as the bad, and then I can be a lot more even. And then, mm-hmm. so when I'm recording after games, this that's like uncharted territory for me and uh, emotions, and I haven't had time to do all of my after game rituals that usually take place. And man, it, uh, it gets the best of you sometimes. It does. It does. Oh, for sure, man. The reactionary pod is always the toughest one because you're either riding that high or you just you don't even want to do the pod, to be honest, sometimes, depending on, you know, the type of game that you were just watching. You're just in a mood. But, you know, sometimes that's what duty calls for. Yeah, sometimes like they could win by a landslide and I'll just be like, I genuinely don't know what I'm going to say. Everyone's going to be singing praises. What can I find that's going to bring us back down to earth? And nobody appreciates that. But at the same time, have to keep that stuff diversified, man. Yeah, I saw our guy, uh, Brendan Nunes, the other day, um, or I think it was actually last night. He was tweeting out while the Kings were just getting absolutely destroyed last night, just pleading with uh, his Twitter followers to help him provide some content with what do you guys want to hear? And I think he was probably going through that those same emotions of, I don't even know what to say right now. So, uh, you know, I tweeted at him. I was like, man, I've been there been there before so you always kind of feel for for a guy like that when you see it going on man i spoke to him today me and brendan we speak most days over the phone um i gave him a call today he's walking his dog and um, <laughs> he was like i hadn't seen the score because i woke up i watched the celtics game got that re-watching had work had life he was like did you see the king score i was like no so like, check your phone and they'd lost by like 51 points, bro. So if no one saw that, the Kings got beat down by a Utah Jazz team that didn't have Jonathan Mitchell. And there was another player that didn't. Donovan Mitchell, not Jonathan. Donovan Mitchell. And another guy didn't play as well. Um, they were about two of their big names. And they beat the Kings to death. So uh, Brendan was very sad today. Now, obviously, this isn't a Kings podcast. Yeah. <laughs> our, hearts and commis- like, our hearts go out to Brendan and the Kings community. But right now, the Celtics are winning. It's only one win, but it's a win. Let's go. Hey, Let's we, go. we need wins. Wins are wins are wins, and we need them. We need them right now. That I mean, that four through seven race, it's tight, man. It's tight, and the, and the Hornets were lurking. So that's a big win last night. Yeah, they need it. And then, like, um, I tweeted this out earlier. There's two games coming up against Miami in the next, like, week, week and a half that are going to be integral, man. I mean, at the moment, if you look at the standings, at, at the time of recording this podcast, Boston are tied with, with Miami for that sixth and seventh seed. So a lot of things can change really quickly. And I never want to count Miami out because they're the type of team that can just flip that switch. We saw it in the playoffs. They've got, in my opinion, the best coach in the league. So having them hot on your heels, tied with you, where the only way is down, if they if they start playing really well, it's going to be real tough to stay in that sixth seed. Um, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting few weeks to end the season, man. And I like it that way to partially because I'm like 
there's so much more invested when things could go south quite quickly. <laughs> yeah, I've got mixed feelings when it comes to the play-in because I do really enjoy, like to the point that you're making here, having to try and figure out, you know, the stakes that are involved when it comes to getting that sixth seed. And I think you and I talked about it maybe a week or so ago where you get a full week off. And, you know, I think it's really interesting when you look at Miami and Boston, you know, the two Eastern Conference finalist teams from last year, we've kind of mirrored each other in the sense that we'll get a couple of wins, feel like we've kind of turned the corner. And then all of a sudden there's a setback, whether it's, you know, something in the chemistry, there's both teams have had injuries of different varieties that haven't allowed for the full true rotations of these teams to really get established. And you see them hanging on for these six, seven, but you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I know for me, when I look at the teams that are in that four through seven or eight, if you want to include the Hornets category, I still think the Celtics and Heat are by far the most talented and are the ones that if you're those top three teams in the East, you're not super excited for either of them to fall to six or seven and see your first round opponent be one of the two Eastern Conference finalist teams from last year. So with the play-in, you know, it does create this whole new drama of we can't just say, you know, we can't fully go all in on let's just get healthy and who we play, we play because you really got to do worry about that play in tournament. And that week off is just such a reward for those top six teams, especially in the seed. Some of these teams towards the end, the bottom end of the seeding playing against the top end. A lot of people are worried about Boston coming up against Milwaukee or coming up against Philadelphia, but they're going to be worried about coming up against Boston too. Like it's not so much that Boston a suck this year i mean they do i mean we can't lie they've you know this team just isn't that great unfortunately but they're also not six seventh or eight seed bad it's been a really difficult year miami have also been a team that have had injuries throughout the year they've had lack of continuity lack of rhythm themselves so the, both of these teams are going to cause nightmare matchups in the first round and for, for a, a neutral it's going to be excellent viewing all the way through because they're going to be such competitive matchups. But from Boston's standpoint, right now you need to start stacking win after win after win after win. And the only downside with that is there's so many people coming back from injury that you need to manage. You need to manage their minutes. You need to manage how often they see the floor, how often they see the ball. Where can they make the most impact with the least amount of impact on their body? just to allow that recovery so when you know when you are up against a team like Miami you can say hey everything we've done has got you ready for this game and got you ready for the game after this game when we play Miami again um so it's tough i think Brad Stevens has got a real big balance in that at the moment yeah i think one of the one of the weirdest parts about the Celtics season right now is that i think we can probably without having av- actually ever seen this we could predict their top eight in the playoff rotation. Yet I don't think actually that top eight has played a game or more than a game together, just given the way that injuries and COVID have all lined up. So for the Celtics, they really haven't had even, even had the opportunity to see what their peak looks like with a full unit. And so I think that plays into a little bit of what we're saying here on, on both sides. One, what the Celtics would look like as a first round opponent for any of these teams. And then two, for Brad Stevens trying to stack wins, but also figure out what does my top eight actually look like together? And that's, I think for me, as we hit, I don't know exactly how many games, left. I think it's like nine or 10 left at this point, but it's definitively the home stretch. And I think that's the most fascinating part for me is just, you know, maybe if we get Kemba back on Friday, this could be the first real time or second time that we've really seen 
the top eight that we expect in the playoffs. And then I think that nine, 10 spot is going to be kind of a rotation and, and, you know, a variety mix depending on the opponent, but those top eight are going to be pretty consistent if they're healthy, but that's a, that's a big if that we've been experiencing all year. But that's why that week off is so important, right? Like more than just rest, it's time to gel. You're going to be in practice facilities most of those days, going over schematics, going over what went wrong in the season, how teams kept abusing you by just driving middle, how you were overhelping off that weak side corner too early, not overhelping in general, but doing it too early, which allowed those kickouts. Things like that get eradicated during practice time. Having that whole week off and being able to get scrimmages in where you're playing with the guys that are now going to be going to war with you in the playoffs, that's integrally important. Playing in the playing, that's your punishment. And I just don't want the Celtics to be punished for an unhealthy season in a season where we're lucky there was basketball in general, you know? But at the same time, someone's got to do it. And if Boston are not been good enough all year and they can't finish, um, find a way to kind of really drive it home over the next nine to 10 games, then, you know, you, you reap what you saw. And that's just the way it's going to be. But I think that one week off is going to be the, the most important week for a lot of these teams. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope Alan Iverson's not listening to us right now, Adam. Because we're talking about practice. We're talking, talking about, about practice, practice right now. This is not the Alan Iverson podcast right now. He's going to be tuning out if he's listening to us. But really, like we're saying, that week off to just have those few moments to practice. And we're, we're looking at a guy like Evan Fournier right now who is – literally trying to fight through whatever the ramifications are of COVID to just get out there and get reps because there is no practice to say, okay, we can sit him out a little bit. He'll get a little bit of, of work in here and there on the side with the team. That's not an option unless we get to that six seed. And then we can kind of have that week to build up some more of those reps. So it's, it's, it's absolutely the number one thing that's of most importance is getting to that six seed. Second is going to be health. And then if you're four through six, let the cards fall where they may. And, and you just kind of got to go from there. I mean, do you know what's worse? Usually at this point, I'd be like, hey, we should start organizing to reach out to an ex-player or a current player or somebody that coached in the league and ask them how preparation goes when you're flirting with a playing tournament. We can't do that. Right. It's just, it's new. I, I mean, it was there. Was it there last year? It was there last year. So, but Yeah, but it was a weird variation. Yeah. Because I mean, it was because of the bubble threw everything off. And, and I mean, once again, this is like part of that, you know, COVID, like trying something new, although it looks like it might be here to stay from apparently I think so. some reports that came out last week. Um, but yeah, this is uncharted territory. Uncharted territory, which makes it super difficult for anybody to kind of assess what the impact of playing in that tournament is. Maybe that's actually going to be more beneficial for that team because they're going to be coming into the playoffs warm. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're coming in directly off the back of a couple of games or a game and they're ready to go. So there's pros and cons to both aspects of it, man. But again, if Alan Iverson or anyone that knows Alan Iverson is listening to this, send him our way. We're like, it's a Celtics podcast. He can hate on us a little bit. But, um, <laughs> you know, we are talking about practice right now. Yeah, and, you know, with that bubble, I mean, we only have the very, very little bit of evidence, uh, or excuse me, not the bubble, the play-in from the bubble. We have that little bit of evidence where, you know, the Trailblazers made that amazing run in the bubble leading up to it. And if you remember on uh, NBA on TNT, they, you know, Charles Barkley was riding them. Charles Bar Barkley brought out his little broom, was doing, you know, doing his little sweep for, for them playing the Lakers. And they went down 4-1 in what was 
pretty much a gentleman's sweep. I know Dame got hurt, I think maybe game four or game five, but it was pretty evident at that point that aside from, I think they put, I think they might've won game one, that aside from that, the Lakers were the far superior team. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Cause now, especially it's, it's even more expanded where it's going to be two games and that you have to win depending on, you know, what seed you're in to try and make a run here. So you know, it's it's interesting. It gives a it gives a new spice to the end of the season to kind of to kind of keep you interested. My only issue with it is, you know, right now, and I don't have the the records pulled up in front of me, but I believe the Wizards and Bulls are kind of fighting for that ten seed in the East. And I know the Wizards have been red hot lately, and Westbrook's been tearing it up. But both of those teams are like six games under five hundred. There's something that still feels not quite right to me about teams that are that far under five hundred getting a chance to into the postseason. But I'm a hypocrite. I'm going to tune in and watch, and I'm sure it's going to be a ton of fun, and I would love to see Beal and Westbrook in an elimination game. What scares me more is the fact that both of those teams could pose problems to a team like Boston. Both of those teams have posed problems to a team like Boston. And this is why, like, when we watched what we saw against Charlotte um, in the recent victory, the way that Boston came out pushing the pace, the way that they utilized spreading the floor so when they did penetrate, they could kick out or they were managing to get to the room. This is why it's important to see that now because at the moment teams are coming in up up against Boston knowing you can attack them middle, you can attack them coming in off the corners and you're going to find success. And all you need to do on offense is kill that pick and roll in that five out scheme. So we're Boston now coming out and saying, hey, we're getting back to health too. So we're going to run the floor. We're going to put pressure on you now. You're going to start seeing some some stagger screens that people that aren't at the top of the perimeter, but are instead facing the baseline. So you're going to get Jalen Brown curling mid range all the time. You're going to have to deal with that. You're going to have to deal with Aaron Neesmith coming in off the corners, ghosting in Rob Williams in dunker spots. There's so much more that the Celtics are going to be able to use and add to their offense that it's important to get that in now. Because teams are teams still aren't going to be expecting that from Boston because the scouting report says five out offense, very stagnant ISO ball, weak defensively. So now being able to change that script, flip that script because of the health, that actually gives you kind of a bit of an advantage mentally coming into some of these matchups. Yeah, first and foremost, Adam, I got to applaud you on that segue transition. That was just fantastically done. Very impressive. A true professional right here. And I and I appreciate give you a little golf clap here on that, man. But no, get, getting back to the, to the game last night, you know, something I want to I want to pull from that. Just talk about Jalen Brown for a second. You know, with this team, we, we've been asking for, you know, different variations of, of leadership. And we've heard, you know, different things that have been said. And he talked about after that debacle against the, the Thunder, which certainly wasn't anything from him. But he talked about playing with urgency and then setting a tone. And last night was was how you get, you know, that, that narrative flipped of who are the Celtics? What's their identity? Who are they going to be when the, you know, when it really matters? And, you know, last night, even without LaMelo Ball and Gordon Hayward for the Hornets, that was a massive game we're talking about the play in for a reason the Celtics are hovering right around that and the Hornets are not far behind and if they're able to get their guys back they're formidable as well so this was a game that the Celtics absolutely had to have and you know Jalen talked about after the OKC loss playing with urgency came out did it last night 20 points in the first to set the tone you know I'm curious how important do you think that was just from even a a mind state and we're talking about getting healthy and that's you know that's obviously something that's going to be massively important moving going forward but mentally showing up each and every night has been a problem for this team and Jalen being able to talk about it. And then the very next, very next night, come out and do it. How big do you think that was just for this team? 
I mean, we've heard everybody talk about the way Marcus Smart leads by example and seeing the way Marcus Smart runs the floor, throws his body into passing lanes and puts himself in harm's way all the time, makes everybody else want to do it. I think it's exactly the same when you see someone like Jalen come out, apply themselves and play offense the right way that suits their actual skill set the most. Playing that inside-out brand of basketball and playing with such an intensity that it wills everybody else. Because if you see he's doing it, well, now I need to do it because I'm going to look worse if I don't. And it kind of, everybody's fighting for playoff rotation minutes. And I think that for Jalen Brown to say it and then implement it was really important. Everybody talks about how he's a leader, how he's going like on and off the floor with basketball, with social justice issues. He's just meant he personifies leadership, but that's something that he hasn't shown for Boston. Uh, for the majority of this season. So I think that's important, not only for the team, not only for that one game, but also for his individual growth into a leader to to find out what ways he can lead in an effective manner. And I think that was probably the best leadership we've seen from Jalen. Yeah, and Jalen's so fascinating because... He's incredibly impressive for being, you know, 24, 25 years old. And, and you mentioned some of his leadership that he's shown in social activism, Black Lives Matter. And even with the NBA Players Union, you know, he's already a guy that's that's looked upon from other players to, you know, to be a voice for, for the Players Union. And so it's clear that he has you know, certain leadership skills that, that apply to, let's just say humanity. You know, he's, he's a guy that as a human being, he's someone that, that you want in the world to be a leader. And so I think as fans, we look to that and we automatically think that that's his, his role with the Celtics. And, and maybe it is, but, you know, I think leadership comes in, in so many different varieties, but with Jalen, you know, kind of walking the walk, so to speak last night, I do think that that's really big for him moving forward, as you said, in his development and moving forward for this team as well, because, you know, him and Jay, him and Jason Tatum, this is the first year where from the start of the season to however the season ends, that they've been the established top two in the hierarchy, the pecking order of the Celtics. There's no, well, maybe Tatum will emerge. Maybe Jalen's going to continue his ascent, but this is really, you know, see where Kemba Walker goes, see what Gordon Hayward does, see what Al Horford, you know, where they're going to be. And so this is a whole new role for them. So I think this season that we kind of forget that this isn't a learning experience for a 22 and a 24 year old that are learning to be the top two on a team that has expectations. And so with that, there come some bumps along the way, but I think that I'm, or I'm at least hoping, I don't want to say think that because I've thought too many times about this team and been wrong, but I hope that this is part of that evolution and that this is going to be a jumping off point for Jalen Brown and that we continue to see more and more leadership like this going forward. Yeah, I mean, for me, like you hit you on the head, this is their first year being asked to do that type of um, leadership. It's their first year being asked to lead the team. And it's a point where, as you say, they are the definitive leaders of this game. Um, on Monday, Monday's episode, I was saying to Greg, one of the things that really annoys me with JT and JB throughout the season is it's been very much playing alongside each other rather than playing off each other. Very much your turn, my turn basketball. And that will get you so far but being able to play off of each other and utilize each other's gravity and skill set to better your own production, that takes you to a different level. And uh, Scal pointed it out multiple times in that game on um, against Charlotte that 
during that first half, that was exactly what Jalen and Jason were doing. They were using each other's movements to generate opportunities for themselves, to generate opportunities for other guys that were cutting and driving. And then that leadership itself, that's a brand of leadership that is performing your best with somebody else at your level to help uplift everybody else and make their lives easier. Leadership doesn't always have to be barking orders at guys calling guys out, getting in people's faces, throwing bottles. That's a brand of leadership in its own right. But it's not always the right way. And I think that what Jalen and Jason have struggled with is figuring out how to be effective leaders. And if you remember back when Paul Pierce first had to become a leader for this team, uh, I remember hearing him talking about, I think this was a few months back, he was like, hey, I remember sitting on a plane, reading a book on the way to LA um, about how to be a leader. And I was... I had to figure that out during a season myself and that's not an easy evolution to make. So everything they've been through this season is part of that evolution. The highs, the lows, you have to know how to motivate a team at their lowest to be able to figure out how to keep them at their highest. And I think this has been a good learning curve for both of them. It's just why my biggest issue is we've seen these bounce back games whenever their pride is hurt. Whenever they've took a kicking for two or three games and their pride is hurt, they come out swinging. What they need to do now is learn how to sustain that mentality even when you're walking around like the peacock with your puffed out chest because you're on a winning streak. Yeah, and that's why I caught myself before when I, when I said, you know, I think cause I want to change it to I hope because I've thought too many times with this team that we've turned the corner that you know, things are different here going forward. And so you just need to prove it. You need to be consistent with it. Consistently inconsistent has been one of the things that we've seen from this team. And a lot of that has, has stemmed from, you know, like, like you're saying, coming just with that aggression, that attitude, that mindset. And, you know, a guy that I'd love for us to kind of dig into a little bit here is Aaron Neesmith. Cause when he's on the court, he's got one mindset and that's that he's busting his butt. You know what I mean? And he's, and he's developed, very impressively, in my opinion, over the season from where, you know, I heard you and Greg talk a little bit about Neesmith on the last pod where, you know, he was probably a guy who really needed some G League time from getting injured his senior season in college to getting drafted, COVID, all this. He just hadn't had enough playing time. And so he's really built himself up to the point where this is obviously his most impressive game of the season that he's coming off. And I think it's extremely impressive from where we saw him start at the beginning of the season to where he's at now. And you've highlighted some of his attributes from understanding where to be spatially on offense to being, you know, more uh, more aware of where he needs to be on defense as well and switching on to the right guys, communicating and really the way that he's been playing himself into into the rotation is that effort, that mindset. And I think he, there was a quote that I think maybe you had on your Instagram that he used where he talked about, you know, how much he cares when he's out there. And it's extremely evident. And it's something that, you know, any, any of us that have ever played a team sport, you can feed off that when you have somebody on your team that, you know, Neesmith at times is so reckless out there that I get nervous he's going to hurt himself because he's flying his body around there. But I think that's something that the team can pick up from. And I hope that after last night, it feels like Neesmith has edged out Romeo for that for whoever between the two of them may get minutes. It seems like right now Neesmith should have the inside track. And I hope that he gets some more playing time here going forward, because I think that the way that he approaches the game or has been is something that, you know, has been consistent and could rub off on the rest of the team. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think Neesmith was excellent. He's, um, his hustle, his heart, the way he was stretching the floor, the fact that we saw him attacking the basket, he's starting to attack closeouts as well. 
I think that he deserves to be at Romeo right now. And I'm a big Romeo guy. So for me to say that means I genuinely believe it. Yeah, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He'll throw his body into plays. He kind of reminds me, and I have no reason to go with this other than just the effort level he puts in. But the way he plays and just the erraticness of his movements, but their controlled erraticness, it's like controlled chaos, reminds me of Juan Toscano-Anderson for Golden State Warriors. Oh, I love Juan Toscano-Anderson. Tell me more about this comparison. That's, just, one, that's one of my favorite non-Celtic players. That's extremely <laughs> random. Yeah, he's just a super random guy. But um, I've, I've tuned into a fairly large amount of Warriors games this year just because I've been intrigued by James Wiseman. I've been intrigued. I made... um. I made a bold statement at the start of the year on a different show I was doing, or I was a guest on or summer, and um, I said that I believed that Andrew Wiggins was going to develop into a three and D wing this year. So I've been very, I've been very keen to see whether that take was right. Um, it's looking like I was right, um, but beyond that, I think that Juan, Tos- Juan Toscano Anderson's <laughs> just the wet. He's everywhere. He's just controlled chaos in a bottle he's not the most talented guy on the floor but he's one of the most hungry guys on the floor and that hunger earns him minutes it earns him respect amongst his teammates and that's how Aaron Neesmith has done it he's came in as controlled chaos after realizing where he needs to be schematically and he's caught up with the pace of the game and now he's just he's everywhere he's jumping passing lanes he's he's drawing charges he's attacking closeouts he's shooting frees he's trying to set screens he's curling off other people's screens and that reward, that type of play will reward itself long term because you're doing too much not to become um, a vital part of that offense and a vital part of that defense. And another thing that I've noticed is Brad Stevens, after he put Romeo at the one as that ball handler a few games back, in the press conference, he said that he felt that Romeo was more suited to being a ball handler with shooters around him rather than being um, a spacer stuck in the corner. And I think that means that Brad doesn't trust Romeo as a high upside shooter now or in the future and sees him more as a primary ball handler and a guy to penetrate and probe the defense with a ball in his hand. And right now, the Celtics are jacked at that position. Well, not jacked, but you know they've got Smart, Kemba, Pritchard having a really good few games himself. So I think Romeo's going to find himself marginalized until next year when they feel more comfortable allowing him to run some of the secondary offense. And that bodes well for Neesmith now and his development. And he's earned that, definitely that controlled chaos is probably probably the best way to describe that. Yeah, and, and I love that you use the the Juan Toscano-Anderson because we saw that when in that big primetime game just, uh, you know, was that a week ago, two weeks ago now? Time's hard to tell, Adam. Pandemics really kind of messed my mind up with being able to keep track of that. But, you know, when he goes flying over the scorer's table, you know, that's the type of energy that, you know, you, you can see it from if you've watched any Warriors games. Yeah, that team loves Juan Toscano-Anderson. And that's kind of the vibe that, you know, Aaron Neesmith is bringing, as you're saying. And I heard you say uh, on a pod in the last week or two, you know, that Aaron Neesmith Smith could be a three and D type of guy for the Celtics. And that's something that's extremely valuable for, for what this team needs going forward here. And you've seen that three point shot has been getting better and better. I mean, that's what a lot of people called him was the best shooter in the draft. So that's kind of what I think a lot of Celtics fans have been waiting for. And, you know, it's a small sample size, but the last five games in which he's gotten a little bit of run shooting 44% from three, I think it's only on roughly about two to three attempts per game, but that's a little window into what you can see. And, you know, he has a really, 
really nice looking shot, it does tend to be tend to seem like it's either dead on or incredibly off. There's not really a middle ground on it, but I do think he's getting more confident with it. And I think the other part of Neesmith that uh, has really stood out to me over the last two games is a couple of plays that he's made off the dribble, which is something that I definitely have not seen to this point. Uh, I know in the OKC game, there was a floater that he made coming off. I believe it was a pick and roll from the top, uh, came through and made a floater in the lane. And then last night from the corner, attacking a closeout, getting all the way to the basket for a layup. So Neesmith is having, you know, uh, in my mind, and and this might be a little recency bias, Jalen Brown-esque rise in the sense that Jalen Brown was a guy that chipped away at getting better. It didn't happen overnight. He chipped away bit by bit, little parts of his game here and there. And just within this condensed season, you've seen that from Neesmith. And I think that bolds really well for him long-term. And I'm excited to, to see what Brad does as far as giving him minutes. Cause he had a stretch from mid February or so where I thought he played really well over about eight games was getting 15 to 20 minutes a game roughly. Uh, but then, you know, had a, had like four DNPs right after that. And I know Brad loves his veterans, but I, I think at this point right now, you know, we talked about earlier in the show, the established eight one healthy, but then that nine's kind of in flux and then 10. And especially while we're continuing in the regular season, I'd love to see Neesmith get those 10 to 15 minutes and, and really continue his development so that you can pull them out when needed in the right situation come playoff time. My biggest thing with Neesmith as well is is an instant energy injection. If you bring Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith off that bench, whether that's together or they come in um, a few minutes apart, you're you're continually injecting energy into that second unit. Guys that can handle the ball, the guys that just want to play hard from the moment they step on to the moment. It's like pressing go on a toy and then you have to wait for it to stop shaking so you can hit stop, you know, like a dog toy or a kid's toy and you're just like, just stop. And uh, it feels like that sort Sometimes, and I think that that's exactly what the Celtics need. It's all well and good loving these veteran guys, but they're not bring. They haven't brung the energy this year. They haven't brung that that intent, that callousness that where they just have, to have no regard for human life. They're going out there to just demolish anyone in front of them. And some of these young guys, they're like they're hungry, they're rabid right now because they want the minutes and they can see there's minutes there for the taking. So by all means, give them the opportunity to earn those minutes. Give them the opportunity to sharpen those claws now. And then in Aaron Smith, like as you said, chipping away at getting better and getting better. I think he came into the league as a pure shooter. He was seen as a spot-up shooter. Um, a guy maybe, he was a movement scorer as well, but he was predominantly just going to be someone you run off flare screens or you run off pin downs, get him the ball and let him just rise up and shoot or just throw it out to him in the corner for a spot-up. Now you're starting to see that he's not just that. He's also, you're not going to need to hide him on defense. In fact, you can feature him in some defensive rotations because he's going to give you everything he's physically got inside him. If he starts developing a mid-range game, starts showing more around the rim, well, now you've gone from drafting a pure shooter to developing him into a 3 and D. If he can add around the rim and mid-range and become a like a respectable three-level scorer, you've got a two-way wing. That's how it works. A two-way wing is a guy that can score on all three levels on offense and then either lock you up off ball or lock you up on ball on D. That's how I define a two-way wing. Exceptional on well, high-level defense, multi-level scorer. And it, there's a long way for Aaron Neesmith to go there. But the only way you will ever find out if he can be that guy is to give him minutes. And at the minute, I think he's earning them, along with Peyton Pritchard, who has drawn on eyebrows. But along with Peyton Pritchard, 
Yeah, I love the conversation you and Craig got into about Peyton Pritchard's eyebrows. It's it's funny. I was a little jealous when you guys started talking about it because all year it's been one of those like back of my mind pet projects of how can I work at, uh, Peyton Pritchard's eyebrows into a joke? And I just haven't been able to workshop it to the point because I don't know how to describe them. The closest I've gotten to is, do you know, like that, uh, what I'm talking about when I say that there's this like, um, like a, for a Halloween costume, like a horrible disguise where it's like a mustache and a pair of like fake glasses and it has eyebrows. That's kind of what I imagine as Peyton Pritchard's eyebrows, just much more nicely groomed. But it was, it's been something I've been workshopping all year. So I was very jealous that you and Greg got into the whole Peyton Pritchard eyebrows eyebrows debate <laughs> bro if that was gen if that's genetic then um his dna is immaculate i'd love to be able to speak to him i'm going to do the very best i can to find someone to put me in touch with pritchard so we can bring him on this show and forget basketball we need to know what your grooming routine i had the same yeah. thing like um i always kick myself for when hayward was on this show for not asking him what hair product he uses because his hair is flawless constantly, never one piece out of place. This dude is running up and down the floor, banging into people, getting thrown to the floor, and his hair does not move. Now, yeah. we, need, we need these products, bro. And you think about Gordon Hayward's looking college, man. We we called our podcast, what, a week ago, the glow up? That's the definition of a glow up was, you know, Butler Gordon Hayward to Boston Gordon Hayward with the hair that doesn't move. And, you know, you, you're back to rocking the classic Adam Beanie right now. But I saw the fresh cut look at him from just a few weeks ago. Got a little bit of Gordon Hayward vibe to that hair, man. I think whatever product he's using, you could definitely use. I'm telling you, I need it. If you're talking about glow ups, I'll give you a little story about um, how my happiness went to sadness when the Celtics signed Gordon Hayward and then we'll talk a bit more <laughs> Pritchard so I remember I was sitting at home following Twitter like everybody else and um, and it gets announced that Boston has signed Gordon Hayward and I'm hyper telling the wife um, she was the fiance at the time um, hey we just signed Gordon Hayward we signed this guy and I showed him and then there was a picture of Hayward when he was young to when he was now and I show, and then Harry Potter fans will get this reference um, and when I showed her the picture, she was like, he never long bottomed. And I didn't understand what this meant at the time, but apparently never long bottom was very ugly and then became far less ugly. And, you know, apparently Gordon Hayward did the exact same thing. From the moment that got told to me, I was less of a Gordon Hayward guy because I was like, oh, well, I can't watch him on TV now because if you're watching the game with me, you're not watching the game anymore. You're watching Hayward. Obviously, it didn't really bother me that much, but it was. Uh, she was purely there for the Hayward content. <laughs> yeah, now she's purely there for the Pritchard eyebrows. So it, it all spins on, spins on roundabouts, man. You know, we gotta, we gotta have, a, we gotta, we gotta bring your wife on for a Celtics grooming podcast. Uh, I actually even tweeted out last night talking about Evan Fournier. <laughs> I think, I, 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 as as a follically challenged individual, I respect challenged. <laughs> I, I absolutely respect the heck out of Evan Fournier for the quad fade that he's kind of rocking where he starts in the middle. He's, you know, he's got the front set of his hair, hair, then it goes to the middle, which is missing complete bald spot fades it to the back end. And then he fades it from the head, from the top of his head down to the side and then into the beard. It's impressive as somebody who unfortunately does not have the spatial coverage to continue to try and promote the facade that Evan Fournier is trying to put up. I respect it. And I hope he continues it as long as, he possibly can't follically challenged that was the the that's the name of the podcast <laughs> it can't be no one clicking into it but that's not the point um going back to basketball after our uh yeah our, basketball let's get back to that <laughs> our rabbit hole into um apparently nba grooming rituals uh you know whether that's a thing or not could so, be a spinoff 
it could be a spin-off. We need to do this NBA grooming rituals. I'm sure players would be dying to jump on there. <laughs> anyway, when we're talking about Peyton Pritchard, I think that he, we need to talk about him. He had a huge game the night before. It was in a loss. But what was that? That was a 28-point game. Career high for him. Um, shot from deep. What I like as well is um, I, I, I have to go back and watch his film for this Charlotte game. I haven't done that yet for just Pritchard as an individual. But let's just say it happened. He's on like a three or four game streak of cooking guys with crossovers, like real cooking them, like Hezzy's, step pullbacks. Um, he's just cooking guys. And I wrote a piece about this and I kind of put it in the piece as well, but I wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, Monday, myself and um, Greg spoke about this where I said like, um, a lot of people kind of concerned about Peyton Pritchard's first step and that initial burst because he just doesn't seem to, he seems to be a guy that builds speed over through momentum rather than build speed as an explosive guy. Uh, so the way he work, he seems to be working around it now is by using dribble moves to create that space and not having to rely on the speed, but rely on his body positioning to create space and then manage to, you know, keep guys on his hip from there and then get to the rim. And it's been working for him. He's been getting to the rim the last few games. He's been probing the defense, very intentional. And he's been hitting some deep freeze, man. Do you think that that's going to be the way that he manipulates defenses due to that lack of initial burst? I mean, I think it has to be, you know, I mean, it's something that I think in the off season, you know, maybe that's something with strength and conditioning. Like we forget he's an older rookie, but he's still a rookie. You know, this is still Peyton Pritchard's first year. So, you know, while I think Peyton Pritchard's long-term, you know, I, I see him as being a, what could be a great backup. I think he's probably low end on, you know, the starter level. And if you're really competing seriously, I don't know that I see Peyton Pritchard projecting as your starting point guard, but a guy that I've kind of always compared him to, and it's a little, you know, I, I kind of don't like doing because it's just like, oh, it's another small white point guard. But like Kirk Heinrich is a guy that I kind of look at as like a, a Peyton Pritchard type comparison, can spread the defense with a shot. He's frisky on defense, um, you know, and, and he's never a guy that was necessarily, you know, blowing any by anybody. And so I think for Peyton Pritchard, that's something maybe he can develop in the offseason. But I do think the way that he manipulates with his dribble, because he's got a great he's great ball hit. That's one thing that's been evident about him since day one. And I got to say, I was really excited when you were talking with Greg the other day and you mentioned maybe one of the only bright spots for me on Sunday against the Hornets was, and I can't, I, I've done this two nights, two times in a row because we keep playing the Hornets. Uh, it's confusing whether it was Miles Bridges or PJ Washington, but like you said, he absolutely cooked him and ended up hitting a step back three on him, but had him literally doing circles. Almost felt like an and one mixtape, like he could have paused and given a little shimmy for the camera. And, you know, that's been something that, that Peyton Pritchard does have the ability to do. And I think now that he's seemingly once again, seemingly, I've been fooled before with this team. Seemingly, he's getting over that that rookie wall and and whatever was you know happening after that injury that he had after that really hot start, where it felt like almost the you know the paint was lava. He didn't want to go anywhere near it, and he was just going further and further out. And now that we've seen over the last five, six, seven games where he's getting back to attacking, where he's feeling more comfortable going into the teeth of the defense, it's giving him more space to operate as far as getting a shot off, giving him more opportunities to create havoc inside the paint. And I think he's actually going to be a really crucial guy for this team going forward. And we talked about the eight that we think are probably going to be our playoff rotation. He's in that group, no doubt. I don't think there's any hesitation when it comes to that. There should be zero hesitation zero. when it comes to that. That was the title of my article. He cemented his playoff minutes, and I think he's earned that. Um, again, like you say, his, his penetration, his handle, 
the way he's comfortable having that limitless range with just, you know, NBA 2K level ridiculousness shot making ability. Um, he's kind of learning from Kemba in certain ways, certain aspects of the ways he attacks off pick and rolls, the way he pulls up off pick and rolls, very Kemba-esque. And I think Pritchard couldn't have had much of a better mentor as being an undersized point guard with good dribbling ability that doesn't have that elite quickness. I still think Kemba's got a better first step and a better burst, Mm -hmm. but I think Kemba's probably one of the best mentors Pritchard could have had coming into the NBA outside of being drafted by a team that had Chris Paul. So um, I think, you know, if any, if you're going to get drafted and you're a point guard and Chris Paul's your mentor, you can't really ask for much more. Kemba Walker being undersized as well, I think has really helped Pritchard. And if for no other reason than continuing to develop Pritchard, they keep Kemba around because they want to try and see something in the, the trade deadline or if you're like me you just want him to play until he's got value yeah. again then I think that's really good for Pritchard's development I like the idea of having Pritchard learn from Kemba I don't ever see Pritchard as a starting level point guard yeah person. I was going to ask you what, what, what you see as his ceiling because you know that's that's one thing that Celtic Twitter, Twitter is always quick to jump to is this is the, this is the starting point guard of the future or he's trash and let's trade him and you know it, it, it <laughs> there's no it in jumps, between right there's no in between it, it jumps really quickly depending on what night and what game you're watching yeah. but but I am curious to know like what you think of of Pritchard's long term thing I kind of gave you my overview but i'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that yeah well. i mean i think he could be the backup point guard and a highly um a highly experienced nba championship challenging team i think he's got that in him where he could be coming off the bench for a team that's expecting to challenge for a championship i think that he could play big minutes in very meaningful games because he just has that clutch gene in him. But I just don't ever see him as a guy a team will say to themselves, he's the one that's going to put us over the hump. What are we missing? We're missing Peyton Pritchard. Let's go and offer him the bag. I see him as being a very, very high value bench piece with quite a long career because he, he's, his game doesn't rely on athleticism. It relies on IQ shiftiness and shot making. And those three things generally, you know, barring injuries, generally mean you're going to have quite a long career if you can be productive. So I see him being that bench guy, that bench backup point guard. And a second string, I don't see him being a third string. I think yeah. he can develop into a very, very reliable second string point guard. Uh, as a starter, if he's on a start, if he's starting on a team consistently, they're probably going to be rebuilding. Yeah, I, I think we're aligned on kind of where we envision long-term Peyton Pritchard. And I know uh, early on in the season, after he had that that really, you know, hot start, which was somewhat unexpected, just, uh, you know, I remember hearing Kevin O'Connor talk about, you know, his rankings and when he goes through and, and does all the draft rankings, you know, they're typically based on, Part of it is, you know, what's your potential for who they could become and why they're being drafted top 10 to 15. But if the rankings were based on who I think is going to have the longevity in the NBA or who's going to have a solid career, that's a whole different argument. And Peyton Pritchard was probably a guy that more people would have put in the 10 to 15 range if it's just, you know, without having that high ceiling. But what's their kind of their floor? Their floor was pretty high. Um, So I think I think with Peyton Pritchard, you know, he's a guy that long-term probably not your starter but like you said definitely a very high level backup that i see and and for the record guys it's not a bad thing 
No, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, loads yeah. of players come into the NBA and flame out by the end of their rookie contract. Loads yeah. of players don't achieve what Peyton Pritchard has already achieved. Hundreds and thousands of players over the NBA's lifespan have not achieved what Peyton Pritchard has achieved as a rookie. So being able to say that and being able to be like, look, this guy's going to be a high-level backup point guard, that's a compliment. That is a compliment. That means you are not 450th in terms of where do you rank in the NBA's best players? 450 players in the league at any given time. Peyton Pritchard would quite easily rank, hot, like you know, 300 to 325 at this point. And that's being that's being super conservative and like removing homerism and hot takes. You know, he's around that 280 to 325 kind of region, and the scope for improvement. I think that's fair. And yeah. This is this is a deep cut here, Adam. Are we gonna? Is our next pod gonna be ranking the top two fifty uh, players in the NBA here? We're gonna get some deep cuts going in this way. Oh, that's. A, <laughs> I mean, I might be wrong. I'm doing this off the top of my head, but you you get what I'm saying. Like, you I know where you're going. Yeah, can't put start bringing rookies that weren't expected to get drafted in the first round, and then start saying they're in the top fifteen to twenty percent of the league. That's that's ludicrous. So, you know, if you want to argue that Lamelo's high up on that list, that's fine. If you want to argue that Anthony Edwards will be high up on that list or Zion, fine. Peyton Pritchard, I'm going to have a bit of pushback for you. So uh, outside of that, uh, just want to mention Tremont Waters started that game. That was a bit of a shock. I think he played well, made some mistakes, but he's a two-way guy, so he's meant to make mistakes. That's why he's on a two-way contract. You're meant to make stupid plays, and that's why you're not guaranteed. However, Carson Edwards is guaranteed and continues to make stupid plays. So, you know, what do I know? Um, I thought he played quite well. Uh, towards the end of the game, he did start getting a bit more erratic. And uh, Brad was very, very eager for Peyton Pritchard to stop bleeding to get that replacement on the floor. Just like, dude, stop, will you? I need you. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. I think that point guard rotation of Kemba, Marcus and Pritchard is going to be completely fine. That's not an area of the team I'm worried about as long as Kemba's playing well. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And, you know, Tremont pinch hitting last night, did it last second with that weird Marcus Smart suspension. Hey, I, I think he did an admirable job considering the circumstance. But, you know, we talked about him a few pods ago. He's probably a guy that there's just not room for him on the depth chart long term. But I do think he's a guy that may have a chance at a career somewhere else. So who knows? We'll see. Dear Boston Celtics, I'm six foot three. Um, I, <laughs> I've played point guard before. If there's a two-way spot available, I'll do it for a green card and no payment, just so you're aware. Um, guys, you've been listening to the Celtics pod. As usual, I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined by my co-host, Will Weir. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. My links will be in the bio. You can find Will on Instagram and Twitter. His links will be in the description, not the bio. They're both going to be in the description. Will, thank you for joining me, my guy. Hey, no problem, man. Always happy chopping it up with you. Of course, man. It's always a pleasure. Everybody listening, please make sure to leave that five-star written review. If you don't want to leave one, please recommend us to friends or family. And if you don't want to do any of those things, we're sorry we offended you. Catch us again on Monday, everybody. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Bye.